Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me, as always, is Brad Hallier. And Brad, we're going to kind of jump right into things, and you can tell I'm I'm a little excited because this Friday night is the home opener for everybody here in the high school football season and for Ad Astra. But actually, I got to talk about Ad Astra. We got our football coverage off and running this last Saturday is my wife and I made a trip to Fremont, Nebraska, where the Sterling Warriors took on the Midland Warriors. And Brad, what a game it was, especially playing in zero week. It was a clean played game, a high, high caliber game. And the Sterling Warriors came away with a 38-36 victory over a pretty darn good Midland team. So when you saw the score and looked at this a little bit, Brad, what was your first thoughts of the ball game? Well, first of all, I was coming back from Newton at some time. I think it was in the late third and then the transition to the fourth quarter. And after cooking on the field for a three and a half, four hours, um, had the AC blast and then just, it was kind of soothing to hear some college football calls. So, uh, job well done there. But, you know, the thing that really stood out to me was was for Sterling. We know that they had a tough spring that or a, a tough uh, 2020-21 season, spring and fall. But the thing that stood out to me was just the amount of adversity this team faced. I mean, last year, if they're down 22-7 to in the first quarter, like the, on Saturday, that's ball game. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not coming back, and they're probably losing, some, you know, something like that. And uh, even going into the fourth quarter, uh, they're you know they're down uh, early in the fourth quarter, thirty six to thirty five, and once again they just continue to to answer the bell. They get a field goal to go up, and then the defense takes over from there. I I, I don't see how after what they went through last year, how Sterling College fan, player, coach, etc., how you're not overly encouraged with this performance. Well, I was super encouraged, especially, Brad, the way this game started. You couldn't have drawn up a worse start if, if you had the ability to do it. The Warriors were going to take the football. They were going to have to go into what was a brutal, and I mean brutal, south win. They fumble the opening kickoff. Midland recovers at the six, and three plays later, we're a minute in at 7 nothing. And I know Warrior fans are probably with the hands on their heads like, oh, brother, here we go. And then all that Sterling did was responded with a drive where they converted a third and 11 and a third and 15 on the drive. They took it down and got it tied at seven. Now, I know, like you said, they were down 22-7 at the end of the first. They went three straight three and outs after that opening possession. They did not have their punter, and they got a five and a 10-yard punt. So the drives for Midland, I think this is why you were still encouraged at the end of one, were six. 25 and 36, I believe, were the drives in that first quarter. So you knew, get the win at your back. If you could put some points on the board, kick it deep, play defense, you had a chance to get back in this thing. And all of a sudden you look up, halftime, it's it's 22-21, and you're thinking, they they got a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they, they, you know, did well in the second quarter, had an 80-yard drive and a 40-yard drive, and uh, ended up uh, getting within a point at halftime, and then they take the lead with a pretty good third quarter. But uh, I tell you, that fourth quarter, they, they had defense really buckled down there in the fourth quarter. And actually, over the last, uh, what, some almost 20 minutes, they only allowed one touch or, or uh, seven points there in the last 20 minutes. So the defense really, really stepped up. And like you said, uh, you know, some of those touchdowns drives at Midland Hand were very short. So you really can't fault them when they give up, you know, 
a six, a five yard touchdown drive or a 25 yard touchdown drive. You know, that's, that's not really on the defense. So you really this, you look at some of the stats and might think, well, why is this game so close? But overall, you know, I just think that this was as encouraging of a game. They had, they had 10 more first downs in Midland. They had uh, about 150 more yards of offense in the game uh, collectively by both teams. And they had the ball for almost 40 minutes in this game. So overall, this, this was a, you could have a, as much as you couldn't draw enough uh, tougher start by fumbling on the opening kickoff, you could have uh, scripted a better season opening victory for the Warriors. No, they they beat a very good team, and I think you you hit right on it. What what happened to them so often last year was they were worn down in the third and fourth quarters. And you mentioned it was almost a forty to twenty minute time of possession advantage for this Sterling team on Saturday, and and. The final drive after they had kicked the field goal, and believe me, Brad, 25-yard field goal doesn't sound like much, but into this wind on Saturday, yep. I was nervous for that field goal because anything that wasn't just hit square was going to be a miss. And I tell you, Paz Perez went up there, and he just banged it through. Defense got a stop. They got the ball back, and the Warriors got production out of the running game, but it was mostly when they went – and brought Chance Whitehead in from receiver to play quarterback to run kind of that read option. They hadn't got a lot from their running backs all day, but on their final drive when they got the ball, Daniel Doris Carr had first down runs of seven, eight, and six yards. And again, doesn't sound like a lot, but you saw that that offensive line just beaten and beaten and beaten on Midland all day. That final drive, when they had a chance to put the game away, they were able to do it. And, and we just didn't see that last season. Yeah, they essentially Bethled them, didn't they? They just kind of ran them into the <laughs> ground. I mean, you look at their uh, – I mean, they average, Scott, they average almost six yards a, 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 an offensive play. I mean, that, that's just a great efficiency. I mean, those are, those are kind of numbers you're going to take without a doubt every week. And they, they had good balance, 15 passing first downs, 10 rushing. I mean, they, it was just a, an overall great performance by Sterling. Uh, offensively, defensively, and and like you said, they got the clutch field goal against the wind. And and then getting so many people involved in the passing game. I mean, I've been on the Jansen Robeson throw to the tight end um, train for a couple of seasons now. He had five catches for 54 yards, got in the end zone twice. Um, Carl Schofield, they were thinking maybe he was the quarterback of the future last year. He had a couple Three beautiful over the middle, those tough catches where you know you're going to get drilled, had a touchdown. And then Chance Whitehead, we mentioned when he came in at quarterback, seven carries, 73 yards, a touchdown. He had 12 receptions, a buck 81, and a touchdown. They threw a couple of those back shoulder throws to him, a couple 50 50 balls that he just outbattled defenders. And you can't say enough about Ethan Richardson. He didn't turn it over, 23 of 36, 303 yards. Three TDs um, just made good decision after good decision. And, yeah, you can tell I'm excited. I, I It surprised me a little bit how well, how efficient um, they played. They made some, some mistakes you're always going to in a first game and still with a very young team. But um, I'm excited to see what they can do. And um, this week will be the home opener against um, St. Mary, who got pounded in four outings. Last fall, um, don't know a lot about them, but um, it's going to be an excellent opportunity on Saturday with the home opener um, to maybe run this thing into 2-0. and 
And this is the only home game they have before October, so you really don't want to squander this one home game that you have for the first month uh, or for the first five, six weeks of the season. And with a couple tough, uh, with a KW coming up after that, yeah. you know, you go into that game two and zero, and then with a uh, a bye week, and then a, a game that I, I would almost expect them to win against Tabor. I tell you what, uh, th- th- this is a pretty. I mean, they're they're all big in football because there's just not that many. But I really, have, this could be a very big victory if if uh, Sterling can win this one. Then going, I tell you what, if if they can beat St. Mary this weekend, four knows not out of the play going into October. It, it certainly would be, and I, I think you hit on it with a young team. How will the coaching staff be able to kind of bring them down off of this big win, um, refocus them on St. Mary, and, and 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 come out with the same intensity because they just um, they just had the intensity even after you know you could have hung your head after like I said fumbling the opening kickoff and they just never did, and so we will see again Saturday. That'll be a five thirty pregame on 95.9 and then six o'clock kickoff um, on 95.9 and the Sterling College Sports Network. Well, let's jump headlong into a full high school schedule. And I say that, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit. We have five high school games, one college game on Friday night. Let's talk about the college game, Brad. It's 94.7 KSKU, the Kansas Jayhawks and the Lance Leipold Season gets underway against South Dakota on a Friday night. And, I mean, this is the biggest no-brainer of the world, Brad. If KU's going to assure themselves of at least one win this year, it's got to start Friday against South Dakota. Well, I, I, I read an article that some internet gambling site dropped $10,000 on the over for KU football wins this year, 1.5 wins. So, uh, <laughs> and I think if, if – if, if he wins the bet, he gets something like a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, don't quote me exactly, but it was a quite an exorbitant sum of a $10,000 bet. Now, the point I'm trying to make, if KU wins this game Friday, that guy is going to be on pins and needles the rest of the season. <laughs> but, yeah. But, uh, no, I, you know, the, the thing that I've kind of been following in preseason is I, I want to read why different for Kansas, why this is different than Dave this is different than Charlie Weiss, why this is different than Les Miles. Every new coach, it's different in some capacity. But for different, I want to know why Lance Leipold is going to be different and why we can expect different results, why we can expect a more competitive Jayhawks this year, next year, and building into the future. And the thing that kind of stands out to me is how several people have said Lance Leipold to detail. And they say that, you know, it, it kind of reminds them a little bit of Bill. And that's not to say that in 10 years, the Jayhawks are going to be, you know, 12-0 and 0 playing in the uh, 12 championship game with a chance to play for the national championship. But the point I'm trying to make is, Scott, is that for people who have been around the program, they say that this is the thing that they've noticed that seems different is the attention to detail by Lance Leipold. Is it going to result in many wins this year? No. But I think you and I are in agreement that if the, the, that this is a ground zero program, they need to start building something, especially with all the conference realignment. And if if Kansas wants to really show some goodwill and start building toward the future, this is a game they can't afford to lose. Well, I mean, you look at this schedule, Brad, and and wouldn't we honestly? I mean, if we're if we're being completely honest, if KU won two or three games this season, wouldn't we should, wouldn't we and shouldn't we be pleased with that outcome if they were? Um, 
I don't, I'm trying to see if they play, they play 12 games. If, if they were three and nine, wouldn't we be very ecstatic almost? I think we would be ecstatic. And heck, Scott, I'm going to go one step further here. You know, if, if Kansas gets to four wins and two of those are in the Big 12, I mean, heck, you can make an argument for Lance Leipold being the Big 12 coach of the year. And I'm not <laughs> saying that lightly, that with all seriousness. You know, he's taken over arguably the, well, maybe not FB or the worst uh, Power Five conference or uh, program. I think maybe Rutgers, since Kansas put a whooping on them, on them not too long ago. But, you know, if you can get by South Dakota, you know, get a win there. Then you got a couple tough ones with Coastal Carolina and Baylor. But then you got a winnable game against Duke on the road. Then you get throttled at Iowa State. But then you got Texas Tech. And there are some wins on the schedule for, for Kansas to try to get. Not many, but they do exist. And the thing is, is uh, if they have any chance of, of really starting to build some goodwill to the future, you know, I think most Kansas fans, you and I included, you know, if you told me right now Kansas was going to be three and nine with a with one Big Twelve win, I would say I'll take it right now. I I would I'd take that to the bank if if somebody somebody gave that to me that I'll guarantee you three wins I'll, I'll take it and I wouldn't look back on this season. And you mentioned it. Uh, I don't know if this is any bulletin board material for KU or not, but ESPN recently put out their bottom ten in NCAA football, and lo and behold. Topping the list was the Kansas Jayhawks. I don't know. They probably pay no attention to that. But if I'm Lance Leipold, I've got that on bulletin board central for my team to see that every day. Here's what everybody around the country thinks of what we're going to do this season. Yeah, I mean, you can't tell, begin to tell me that those guys haven't recognized it. But you know what? First of all, I can't blame ESPN one bit. And it's up for the Jayhawks to prove them wrong. Yeah. And again, you can hear that game live. 94-7 KSKU. It is showing a 7 o'clock kickoff, so I believe that puts the Crimson in blue at 5.30. Uh, 95-9 on Friday night. We're going to have a lot of uh, rematches of opening weeks since this is the second year of the district alignment. 95-9, this is intriguing, as it was a season ago. Goddard at Bueller. Uh, Bueller season off to a rough start last year. Goddard got him. In the opener, 35 to 20. Bueller ended up six and four on the season. Goddard seven and three. Both teams losing in the second round of the playoffs. Uh, Goddard was beat by Capen, and the old kryptonite for Bueller reared its ugly head again. It was Mac ending Bueller's season. So, what do you see? Bueller and Goddard, intriguing opening night there in Bueller. Oh, man, Scott. Goddard's got 42 returning lettermen. 42. Oh. I mean, I, I haven't looked at everyone in Kansas pregame magazine, but Scott, if anybody has more than 42 lettermen back, and, and that includes the likes of, you know, Derby and Olathe North, I'd be shocked. I mean, that's just an exorbitant amount of experience back. Bueller's got a lot back, though, too. This is a test for Bueller. Here's just my one concern, Scott, is the Bueller schedule is insanely difficult. You got Goddard, you got Andover Central, you've got McPherson. You've got a very improved El Dorado team on the schedule, yeah. too. Well, Wellington usually seems uh, a little uh, on the difficult side. And 4A, with the, just being the, the, the East and West, you know, you can't afford too many losses if you're Bueller and, and, and have hope to get some home games and, and make a deep playoff run because 4A is going to have a lot of good teams in it, including, as we mentioned, McPherson, among others. But I do think that, uh, that that's going to serve them well if they can survive these first two weeks uh, with, with even a split. I think 
Steelers should be over overjoyed if they can get through these first two weeks with a split. Yeah, it, even you talked about that schedule going into maybe week five. If I, I don't know that you'd be disappointed if they were two and two going into week five. It's just <laughs> – it is really tough up front for Bueller. It doesn't get a whole lot easier um, at any point of the schedule. But, um, boy, 42 Letterman coming back from Goddard. I mean, I think you and I both thought that that game was going to be a pretty good game, even though we thought Bueller was going to be really good last year and Goddard got him last year. So maybe Bueller at home can uh, change the tide a little bit. But, wow, I – I don't want to go as far as to say I'd be surprised if Bueller won, but I would, I have to give the nod to Goddard with all that experience coming back. Oh, absolutely. And it's a program not too far removed, just like for a state championship. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's, but it's a great test. I mean, you know, if, if you're Bueller and you go out and, you know, you, you beat Goddard or maybe if you four thirty one in a thriller, you know, I think you could look at the even even a competitive loss like that with your heads held high because you're not going to see too many better teams than Goddard this year. Well, that's the 95.9 game, and those pregames begin at 6.30. Another intriguing matchup. Boy, these are two teams had great seasons last year. 100.3, the Hutch Trinity Celtics went 8-2 last year. They're at the Inman Teutons, who were 9-3 and three and just had that magical run to the state semifinals. I went all the way out to Oakley um, and saw their season conclude there, but it was uh, just a Cinderella run for Inman last year. Trinity at 8-2, and two, they lost in the second round. They had some players out in that game against Haven um, when Haven had their best season in maybe school history, especially in recent memory. Now, I know Inman, boy, they had a lot of important seniors on that team last year. Trinity, you know, the year before last year, they had so many sophomores playing. They got a lot of kids back. I think Trinity's going to be really good. Inman's going to have to have some young kids step up and play some big minutes early on, but this is going to be a tough test for Inman at home. Yeah, I, you know, Inman's got so much firepower back this year. I think they lost quite a bit on the line. That's always a concern. But, you know, they got the – and correct me if I say his name uh, incorrectly here, Scott, Jace Dirksen, the yes. the, senior, the senior quarterback who threw for over 1,500 yards last year. And Kenan Blank back, he caught, uh, uh, according to this, 80 – or he ran the ball 86 times for 742 yards. So they've definitely got a lot of good pieces back. And now that they've got that taste of winning – but moving on to Trinity here, Scott, I don't think anybody has really given Trinity the credit that they deserve for kind of being one of the steadier programs around. I mean, they go eight and two last year, and their only losses were to Haven, who was, uh, you know, an eyelash away from playing in the state semifinals and maybe even for a state mm-hmm. championship. And, you know, they, they, they do have their, uh, a lot of their line back, which is good. It's going to be a young team this year. But really, I think at this point, Jordan, Coach Jordan Bell and the Celtics, you know, Yes, it, it appears maybe to be a rebuilding season, but they've also been so just so steady, so successful for so many years. I think you, you can almost uh, give them the benefit of the doubt. And when it looks like it might be a rebuilding season, to kind of give them the league course of pen. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think Trinity's often underlooked and undervalued sometimes. And I don't know why, because it just seems to be even a – even a down season for them seems to be, you know, five and five or or a six and four type season when eight and two last year. Um, 
and no reason to think they're in the heart they're not going to be a factor and in, in, in a chance to to push into the playoffs but um i love this opening night matchup between these two heart of america foes we'll, we'll see um what pieces they can plug in from what they lost but it, that'll be an interesting matchup for scott miller will have that call again on 100.3 uh, let's move on to our game on friday night kicks country game of the week it's the Sedgwick Cardinals at the Sterling Black Bears. That kicks off Warrior Fest with the Black Bears and then the Warriors at home on Saturday. Uh, eight and two, Sedgwick last year. Two and seven were the Sterling Black Bears. Sterling lost in the first round of the playoffs at Douglas. And Sedgwick um, lost to Oakley in the second round of the playoffs. Oakley then went on and eliminated Inman in the semifinals. It's hard for me, Brad, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Sterling guy. It's hard for me to see Sterling competitive in this ball game. Uh, Cedric's got Lance Hoffsummer back, the six, what's he go, six three, six four, senior quarterback. He lost some of his specialty players a little bit on the line, but I looked at these two rosters. Cedric's got 41 kids out. Sterling's got 17. Um, I just think Cedric's going to have too much – and it through the air and this is a real um, test of wills here sterling runs the old triple option you know kind of the air force offense cedric runs the spread um they'll air it out um i hope we have a, a good game it, it, but sterling's gonna have to put up a really grand effort to make this one close and you know what scott they did that a few times last year when uh, you <laughs> thought that maybe sterling was overmatched I go back to the game that we had on September 11th last year against Garden Plain, 14 to nothing. Yes. And, and mm-hmm. I believe it was 7 to nothing going into the fourth quarter. So Sterling was, even though they really struggled moving the ball, they, they gave themselves a chance in that game. They lost by just 10 to Chaparral. They lost in overtime to Hillsboro. They lost 22 to 20 to Marion. So 2 and 7, yes. But I tell you, there are a few plays away from 4 and 5, 5 and 4 even. So, but yeah, the, the depth. And, and first of all, uh, we're talking about Sedgwick here. Jeff Warner, I mean, what, what a program he has built over that Cedric, man. I mean, that, that guy has just done some outstanding things. He's won over 100 games in 15 seasons. And, yeah, to have that kind of uh, roster at the 1A level, I mean, over 40 players, I mean, that, that's, that's, that, that's numbers that, you know, 3A uh, would probably envy to have that many players out for, for your team. And, yeah, I think Cedric is a contender in Class 1A this year. On the surface, uh, they won 45 nothing last year. On the surface, I would say Cedric is a pretty – pretty heavy favorite in this one or uh Cedric is a pretty favorite uh, heavy favorite in this one but you know what Sterling did show some things last year when just when you thought that maybe they were going to be overmatched they did show some fight last year yeah I think I think I failed to mention that Trinity Inman was a 26-20 game last year that Trinity won and you mentioned the 45 nothing loss for Sterling uh, the question mark for me for Sterling uh, you know Kaz Conley was the quarterback most of last season he had that really bad concussion um and i'm not i have not heard whether he is even gone out this year so that would change the dynamic of who sterling would be running at that first string quarterback i I just we'll find out on friday i just i just don't know and that that would that would make a big difference for the black bears if they're having to plug in a different first string quarterback and according to kansas pregame magazine there's a zach surface listed as their quarterback this season yeah, I, I, I had heard that Kaz probably would not go out. I just hadn't um, had that confirmed. Uh, Zach Surface, tremendous athlete, and that's what you want 
um, at the triple option. So if, if Sterling's going to have a chance in this game, three yards in a cloud of dust would be uh, you know, a great strategy because you could go for it and get that yard on fourth down and just keep the clock and the chains moving. And um, that's what Sterling will have to do. And for those of you who be listening to that game, Brad and I will have a preview show of all these games live on Kicks Country. Uh, so that pregame will actually start at 6.30 on Friday night. Our two stream games, um, the first one on uh, stream channel number one is an eight-man matchup, two and six from last season, Pretty Prairie at five and four from last year, Central Christian. Central Christian won the game last year, 48-14 at Pretty Prairie. Uh, Central Christian got knocked out in the opening round of the playoffs last year, Pretty Prairie. Did not get into the playoffs, so a little eight-man action. What do you think of the Cougars this year taking on Pretty Prairie? Well, new coach at Central Christian has taken over. Not a lot back for Central Christian. Only five total uh, lettermen, but Carson Hamby's one of those guys back. on him last year. That, that, that dude can play. And uh, Emilio Ibera, who I saw as a freshman and playing basketball last year, I thought the world of that kid. He looked like a pretty good athlete. So it could be a numbers game. I'm, I'll be curious how many kids for Central Christian are out this year. They've, they've had a great run of some high-profile offenses and putting up a ton of points and all that. And Pretty Prairie's kind of been, you know, they've got a pretty good tradition there. They've been dead for years. Uh, they also only have five uh, start or five lettermen back this year. So it, it, it looks on, on, uh, on the surface like it could be a pretty good matchup, you know, pretty even matchup. So uh, I'll be uh, definitely curious to see a couple first-year coaches, Matt Gearing for Pretty Prairie, how this one uh, turns out. Yeah, it's kind of the the dynasty of the past against the dynasty of the more present Pretty Prairie and Central Christian. You mentioned, like I said, on paper, each team with just five Letterman back um, should be a pretty darn good ball game. As as you know, and you get two evenly matched eight man teams out on the field, Brad. I I, I don't know. I I love eight man football. I, I love six man football. If you want to get into that discussion, but I, I think that should be. Uh, it should be a pretty competitive game, Pretty Prairie at Central Christian. The other stream game on uh, Friday night is also another intriguing matchup. The uh, Carl Nolan era begins for the Lions-Lions as they were just 1-5 last year. They're going to take on a 2-6 from a season ago. Larnard Indian Ball Club in Lions on Friday night. I, I don't say I know Carl Nolan, Brad. I had the privilege of watching him play football for the Sterling Warriors. Carl was a, and when I say big offensive lineman, I mean it. I think his playing weight in college was somewhere up around the 360 mark. Um, watch this young man come in as a freshman, and he thought, nah, he's just too big. He's not going to be able to play. And I tell you, his junior and senior year, Brad, I think if I was a cornerback and I saw him pull around the end, I would have probably turned in my pads because he turned himself into a fantastic offensive lineman. And he's brought some excitement to this Lions program. The last two seasons, the total kids out for Lions were 18 and 17. And Doug Higgins, who will be calling all the Lions games again this year, I think he told me they had 40, 42 kids um, out at the start of fall camp. So uh, for Lions to be able to start to rebuild the program, that's where it starts because for 
three and a half seasons. They have not played a JV schedule due to lack of numbers. So getting the kids out and get the kids excited and interested, get a JV program going again, that'll be a good start for this Lions, this Lions Lions ball club. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at last season, they only played four games last year. They had some COVID issues and they had a couple forfeits, but they did finish with the victory over Blue Stem. So that that was a good uh, this Lions team who, you know, just 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 desperate for some kind of excitement within the program. And, you know, maybe this is how it starts out. Uh, Larned has had some decent teams in the past. Uh, I look at what they've uh, what they had last year, and they've kind of usually been one of those teams that's been in a tough district. And that was certainly the case last year being in there with Andale and Cheney and all those uh, fun teams to play. And they went to – but, you know, they, they, they hung around with Cheney for a while. So, you know, it was just going be kind of interesting to see – what they've got back, just like anybody else, what they've got back, but definitely a positive outlook uh, right now going into the season for Lions. Yeah, Lions actually, their one win was in that last game, as you mentioned, against Blue Stem. They played eight-man in that game, and Doug Higgins told me that they didn't narrow or shorten the field. They played that on an (laughs) 11-man field. Uh, And so you could imagine um, what one good athlete could do with that extra uh, size of a field. Um, so I, you know, you, you gotta be optimistic for lions here in the opener. If you look at the records of last year and you look at all these kids that have come out for lions, uh, it, it's just some excitement for the first time in a while for lions football. And I'll be really curious um, to see how, how that game turns out on Friday night. Again, if you want to look at the schedule, you can always go to add and the sports page, and we'll always have each week's schedule up early in the week. Well, let's go ahead and stay with um, high school football. I don't know if you saw this, Brad. This one was intriguing to me. It actually happened a couple of weeks ago as the season, high school football season up in Utah starts considerably earlier than here in Kansas for obvious reasons due to winter-type weather. But did you see the story that came out of Union High School in Utah that after the first game of the season, the head coach suspended all 80 of his players immediately after the first game as he got reports of cyberbullying, uh, also um, his, some of his players showing absolute disrespect to teachers and skipping class. So he had them, everyone turn in their jersey after the first game on Friday night, and then he outlined a plan of action starting that Saturday morning was a community service project that each day through the following Wednesday, it was, if you wanted to be on the team, it was mandatory to be at all these stages. And then he would evaluate which kids would and would not get their Jersey back for games, which I believe were probably JV Thursday and varsity on Friday. Um, And then he would evaluate whether you did or did not have the privilege of playing for Union High School. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because I loved it when I saw it. I, I just really did that this coach um, standing up for um, things that he saw that he did not want represented <clears throat> out of his players at Union High School. No, I, I hadn't heard of it about that, but good for him. I mean, there's no there's no room out there for that. And I, it kind of reminds me a little bit of an incident that happened at Pretty Prairie some, oh, 17, 18, 19, maybe even about 20 years ago where there had been uh, stories about some uh, oh, underage drinking going on, on the team. And the coach asked them point blank at practice, who's been doing this? 
one would admit it, and they're running, they're running, they're running, and coach said, someone's going to admit to this. And finally, a bunch of players put, put their hands up. They're like, coach, it was me. And he kicked them off the team, and they finished just uh, even fewer players than what they had. So, you know, good for these coaches who are sticking to their, to their principles and their morals and realizing that high school sports, yes, it feels great to win. We're not naive enough to think that winning isn't a big part of high school football, if not the biggest high school sports or football. But you know what? It, it's not all about that. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I loved it when I saw it because, again, um, they could trace the cyberbullying to a certain um, server or computer, but they couldn't trace it to a, a, a specific account. So he did not know for sure who was doing the cyberbullying. He knows it was football players. And, again, he had several reports and knew certain names. But, again, he suspended everybody. It wasn't, you know, this is a team game, just like you, you mentioned with Pretty Prairie there, and uh, I'm disappointed. Have not seen a follow-up article on this anywhere to see how many did. If all did, some did. Nobody did. Um, how their season has gone after that, or more importantly, because sometimes you wonder in these days if he got any blowback from parents, or if parents and um, the staff and everybody was were 100 percent behind him. That that would be the thing I'd be really curious to find out some blowback from the community probably for some parents too but you know what at the end of the day uh if you're not learning those life lessons at home there's nothing wrong with learning them somewhere else because eventually if you do stuff like that in the real world there will be repercussions for it again that's uh it was an interesting one i saw again that was union high school um, up in utah well let's uh, bounce around a little bit there was some um, several things going on in major league baseball here recently and if if you haven't um, been watching real closely, the the Royals quietly seven and three in their last ten games. Their overall record is fifty nine and seventy one. And I actually saw something about um, Salvador Perez, Brad. That somebody said Salvi for MVP of the league. Why not? And you look, he's now homered in five straight. He's got thirty eight homers on the season, um, ninety four. Runs batted in. He's hitting 277, which is one of the top averages um, in the Royals as far as their regular, pretty much everyday players. He is certainly having an MVP type season for Kansas City. And you and I both know he's not going to win it. But I mean, I certainly think what he's doing this year should be recognized and he, he should get some votes for MVP. Well, Scott, you're. Uh kind of a baseball historian yourself didn't steve carlton once win the cy young team oh last or next to last i think you're right i want to say they school. may have lost 100 games so I, it's something i have to look up so there is some precedence out there for you know uh, a player for a bad team winning mvp and look i'm not saying that he should win it but i, I agree scott I, I think you're gonna see salvi with uh, some first place votes and maybe probably I would say maybe a top five finish right now. You know, he's um look at, at this point, uh, Salvi's a first ballot hall of famer. He's going to go into Cooperstown one day. He's going to have a Royals hat on his head. Uh, the second uh, Royal to make the hall of fame third. If Zach Grinke makes it in before that, cause he's already said he wants to go in as a Royal oddly enough, but whatever. Um, but what Salvi has been doing, especially in the, uh, if you go over the last 162 games, I mean, they're MVP type numbers. He strikes out a lot and he rarely walks. But when you are batting 275 and you're bashing, you know, almost 40 home runs already, it's not even September yet when we're, when we're recording this, 
And, he, you know, he's probably on pace for some 43, 44, 45 home runs and 120 RBIs. And there are very <laughs> few baseball players at the highest level who are putting up those kind of numbers. Yeah, and what's he going to finish if he doesn't really slump or something? He's going to hit possibly 275, 280. I, I don't know. There's nobody that wouldn't take those kind of numbers out of out of probably anybody on their roster, but especially a, a free swinging catcher like Salvi. So it's a, I mean, it's a, it's disappointing. He's on a team that it's not going to you know contend this season or probably next. Uh, but yeah, he's putting up some really nice numbers. And I think one of the other things I noticed looking at the Royals here recently, very quietly, how about what Nicky Lopez? is doing as the everyday shortstop for the Royals, Brad. He's leading the team as far as everyday players in batting average at 292. And I saw something about they think he should be the full-time everyday shortstop with Merrifield at second when the 2022 season begins. And from what he's doing this year, I, right now, I don't, I couldn't argue against that. Well, what it also does is it enables you to be a little bit more flexible with Bobby Witt. And, you know, he's obviously been – he was drafted in the future. But you know what? Who's to say you can't convert him into the center fielder or something like that? You know, Bobby Wood Jr. is a remarkable athlete. And I, I, I think that Nicky Lopez has earned the right to get the shot at everyday shortstop along with Whit Merrifield at second. And, uh, heck, you could even maybe try uh, Bobby Wood Jr. at third base. But I did hear some things that they're saying that, hey, if Nicky Lopez is your shortstop, gives you a little flexibility with uh, what you want to do with Bobby Witt. Well, what about this, Brad? Do you th- well, first, I'll, I'll keep this thought. Um, do you think they're going to call him up in September this season? Obviously, they don't want to, you know, start the. They don't want to start the clock too early on him. Uh, but he's had a tremendous. If you look at the the prospects and the, that the Royals have right now, and Bobby Witt's obviously the the centerpiece of all those prospects. You know, they got I think four of the top home run hitters in all of minor league baseball right now. Uh, I think the one who's leading right now is Jeff Conine's uh, son. But uh, yeah, regardless, I think the Royals that have a bright future offensively is just hopefully we can add some pitching in there. But yeah, I think uh, there, I think there is a, there, there is a chance. I think we may see Bobby Witt Jr. in Kansas city in September. And then the second part, the thought I was um, holding on to there, if, if, if you really are sold on and he finishes the season strong starts next year, and, and referring again to Nicky Lopez at shortstop, what about Bobby Witt at second base and Witt going back to the outfield? Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. And like I said, uh, you know, if if uh, if you're going to go with Nicky Lopez as your shortstop of the future, and right now I don't see any reason why you shouldn't give it a give it a try. It, it definitely allows you to be a little bit more flexible with the Witt Merrifields and the Bobby Witt Juniors of the world. So, uh, just. Gosh, I just wish that Adalberto Mondes, who is healthy, because that guy has the, the talent that that guy has is it's through the roof. I mean, he is he, he's an all star caliber uh, baseball player. And the fact that he's only played in 10 games this year, but those 10 games have been pretty darn good. <laughs> oh, guys, it's just maddening because he would be such a big piece of this team if he could find a way to keep himself healthy. Yeah, that's you always worry about that. How? You know, if that continues on, you know, next year, year after that, you just wonder um, how long you can invest in somebody that can't stay healthy and hopefully um, get past this season, get healthy in the offseason, and then he'll play a full season next year. But we will certainly keep tabs on the Royals, especially when 
the September call-up comes, if Bobby Witt comes up and some of the other young players that are certainly going to dot the Royals roster in September and the first part of October. Um, staying with Major League Baseball, this was another one. I think this is a pretty good feel-good story because you get the feeling um, most people really like uh, Miguel Cabrera for the Tigers. He hit his 500th home run here in the last, uh, I think it was about 10 days ago now. And what I did not realize about Miguel Cabrera, um, who's certainly on the downside of uh, his Hall of Fame career, his career batting average is 311. I would never have guessed that. I would have considered him more of a power hitter, but there's a several. I think he has hit over 300 and Gosh, I, I need to pull that back up. It was at least five, six, seven seasons somewhere in there. Uh, he's certainly, uh, in my mind, probably first ballot Hall of Famer. But he's certainly gonna gonna be in Cooperstown when his season's over. And uh, it was it was nice to see him get that 500 dinger. One of the greatest baseball players uh, of the twenty of the twenty first century, without a doubt, Scott. I mean, for for up the power numbers and the batting average, you just don't see that. And he's also been a very successful uh, franchises. You know, he was a big part of the Detroit Tigers when they were going to a couple of World Series. He won a World Series with the Florida Marlins. Uh, I believe that, that he did win. A, uh, he was on, I believe, that uh, the, the Steve Bartman uh, season, if I'm not mistaken, in 2003. So, you know, he, he, he he's a winner, and he definitely deserves his spot in Cooperstown. Yeah, congratulations to him. I just, I just saw that come across there about 10 days ago or so. And, well, I tell you, the other one that – Boy, I'm not sure I have seen a season like Shohei Otani is putting up for the Los Angeles Angels. I looked up his numbers as of this morning, and you have to realize, Brad, we're not going to just talk about batting numbers. We're also going to talk about pitching numbers because this guy does both. Right now, he has hit 41 homers. He's driven in 89, hitting 264 at the plate. And maybe even better on the mound. He's eight and one. His ERA is a really solid, th- even three point zero zero. He struck out one hundred and twenty seven. He's walked only thirty nine batters. Do, do you remember a two way player like this in your lifetime that putting up numbers like Shohei Otani is this season? Heck, you could probably ask my dad, born in nineteen forty nine. I'm not sure that in his lifetime there's been a I mean, seriously, you, you're, you're talking about Babe Ruth-like numbers Babe Ruth. from, from this guy. I mean, it's 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 almost unprecedented because, yeah, Babe Ruth, uh, he, he was a, a pitcher and then a field player, but I don't, I'm not sure how much he actually played simultaneously. I have to go back and look at his stats, but no, th- this is a, a once-in-history in type of talent. Well, I think they stopped uh, pitching Babe Ruth because they realized that they had to have that bat in the lineup every day, and they didn't want to uh, waste him on the mound. But Shohei Otani just uh, doesn't seem like you waste him anywhere. He he goes out on the mound one day, and he doesn't take an off day. He goes back right into the batting lineup the next day. And um, I'd have to look and see in their games. Are you aware of any game that he actually pitched and served as the DH? Of course, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you pitched him in the National League park, um, perfect against a National League team, um, you could also DH him. Are you aware if they've done that this season? I am not aware of that, no. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Because you certainly could. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> pitcher can serve as your DH. You know, you see it all the time in college baseball where a, a really good athlete that pitches, but you want his bat in the lineup, you just you DH him. Um, but yeah, it's that's amazing. I think it just goes to speak. Um, and I think we all know how good a baseball they play in Japan, but I think it is still undervalued. They have they have a lot more major league baseball caliber players in Japan than we're really aware of. And Shohei Otani um, is just one of many, but he, he's one of the best, certainly. But I, I think we undervalue what Japan actually does as far as professional baseball. There are very few players in baseball history uh, as a Royals fan that I would have gone out of my way to see from a visiting team, you know, gone on my way to pay money, good money to go see a visiting team play. Ken Griffey Jr. is the first one that comes to my mind. Ichiro Suzuki is the second one that comes to mind. Yes, Ichiro was uh, – he, he was one of a kind. I, he reminded me a bit, and this will go back just a little way, of Rod Carew, the way that he batted, the way he could just, you know, slap something into left field and just just find a way to get on base and, and, and string out at-bats. Yeah, he was, he was a lot of fun, and Shohei Otani is – Wow, and and he's he's not that old either. I mean, we could be seeing bigger and better things out of him, and he's putting up maybe a a, a season that most of us will never forget. Well, our little weekly check in with the Big Twelve conference spread. Of course, I'm sure you saw all the talk, and now a, I guess you call it a formal agreement. There's nothing in writing. This is more of a handshake gentlemen's agreement uh, uh an alliance between the pac 10 the big 10 and i believe it was also the acc involved in this brad of a scheduling alliance that they have agreed in the future they claim they're going to um serve out all of the current scheduling agreements they have made with non-conference opponents in all sports, but then in the future, they are going to agree to schedule their non-conference games between these three conferences um, to help with TV revenue and to just solidify their conferences with what's going on with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. Um, just your first thoughts on that when, when you saw that come out about, I think this is about a week ago now. Oh yeah. The handshake, uh, the old handshake, uh, yeah, that's going to work out really well, Scott. Uh, <laughs> it, it sounds it, – it's a PR. It's nothing more than that. I mean, it sounds good on the surface. Uh, they're just essentially saying, yeah, we're united. yeah, you're united until the SEC gets Florida State a call, you know. <laughs> then, you, then you lose yeah. them to the, to, the, to the SEC. I mean, again, it's a PRD. I, I, I do think that we have not seen the last of uh, Power 5 conference shifting. I still think that the, rem- the remnants of the Big 12 – eventually you know th- this is how it kind of usually works and scott you know you got the first move everyone's in a panic things settle down a little bit and then you know you kind of get that next wave and you know that could be uh november it could be december it could be next summer at some point the the big 12 will come will complete its implosion and you're going <laughs> to other schools uh, the remaining eight schools on the move somewhere and if not scott if you decide to salvage the big 12 here's my only request well a couple requests actually first of all Expand to you, you really expand. Don't just expand to ten. Don't just expand to twelve. Get the heck out of this conference. And you have a couple schools that are in there for football. 
and a couple schools that are in there for only basketball. Hint, hint, Gonzaga. Mm. <laughs> or how about BYU? You know, that's sure they BYU is mentioned as maybe a, you know a football only because they're independent right now, and then they play everything else in the Big West. Correct me if I'm wrong. There is that correct? Yeah, uh, BYU. Yes, that sounds right. With we're in with Gonzaga, if I remember correctly, in the Big West. Um, uh, yeah, Gonzaga's in the WCC, the West Coast Conference. Or, okay, so maybe it's. I'd have to look that up. I wanted to say uh, BYU is in there with Gonzaga, which would be the West Coast Conference for basketball, um, but they maintain their independence in football. So yeah, why not? I mean, BYU is kind of a little bit more of a splashy name, but I. I think we're going to continue to hear, we're going to hear tons of different ideas. I know the big 12 is probably, you know, have been huddled in a lot of these meetings about what they're going to do. And I, I think we're going to hear over the next year, a lot of different talk going on. I'm like you in the end. I, I, I think the big 12 is going to be a thing of the past. We hope not. Um, but, we will see, and I think it'll be sooner than later that we'll find out the real fate of the Big 12. Well, for uh, a lot of people, the uh, football bug has hit them, and the Chiefs have ended their preseason part of the schedule at a perfect 3-0. and I was unable to see much of the preseason of the Chiefs. Uh, they won their last game against the Vikings. It was their only home game. And if you saw that game, you had to be uh, really pleased. Uh, two first-team offensive possessions, two Patrick Mahomes touchdown passes. He had the old sidearm pass going on, you know, just doing what virtually no other quarterback in the league can do that he seems to make look effortless. Um, the defense looked really good in the first half when the first-teamers were out there. And overall – I was I was very pleased with the Chiefs preseason, and I know you can wad that up, throw it in the trash. The, re the real games begin here in just under two weeks. But uh, if 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 you want to grade the Chiefs in the preseason, you'd probably have to give them maybe B plus A minus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's all we have to go on right now. Preseason. I watched a little bit of the game last week just to see how Mahomes looked, and well, it was a nice touchdown pass to. Tyree Kill and the Wichita, Kansas' zone Blake Bell. So that was good to see uh, the Belldozer back in, in Arrowhead and scoring touchdowns. And I think that, you know, the, the schedule looks really tough for the Chiefs. And I think that they're going to have to figure out a to win games in multiple ways this year. I think that, uh, you know, teams are really going to try to do what they can to keep Mahomes off the field. And even though that may go against what some teams believe, like the, you know, I think the Browns, uh, they, you know, teams that, shootout with the Chiefs I think are just going to come out on the short end almost every time so I'll be just kind of curious how because we're in a past happy NFL and I just don't <laughs> think that team into a shootout with Patrick Mahomes are going to succeed I agree definitely and going into the season if you had to point out one maybe point of concern or something you want to see um, certain improvement in what would that area be pass rush the offensive line is reconstructed, and while it might be a little bit of a work in progress, you know, sometimes these offensive lines, uh, it's almost a brand new offensive line. So I think it's reasonable to think that it could be October before they really start to mesh. Uh, but I know a couple of those guys have said, you know, hey, my job is to make sure that Patrick Mahomes doesn't get touched, and I'm going to do everything I can to prevent that. But at the end, 
hey, if you don't have a good pass rush, your defense is going to be a sieve out there. And the Chiefs need to establish some sort of pass rush this year. So if they can establish a pass rush, I think they have a decent enough second. Uh, they should be able to to get to the quarterback, provide some pressure, and uh, maybe try to get some teams off the field and get the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands immediately. And Frank Clark a little dinged up right now. And that, that would be my point of concern would, would certainly be the defense. Are they going to be able to keep Mahomes – on the field a lot, keeping the other team's offense um, on the sidelines. And you mentioned the offensive line. Boy, doesn't it look like a huge steal of Trey Smith getting him in the sixth round? How well – I mean, they are raving about this guy. And I think you mentioned, again, the offensive line. Um, I'm psyched about this offensive line because they're talking about Dubernay Tardif being a backup uh, on the <laughs> And if he's a backup um, – how good is the guy in front of him? And then it's Trey Smith. He 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 looks awesome. It looks like a steal of a six rounder. Yeah, that's sometimes what you get in the uh, the draft. You know, you, you value in your in your low round draft picks. You know, you're ahead of the game. I, in many ways, you know, that's where you're where you win and lose a lot of your uh, you know postseason games and extended success in the NFL is with those lower round draft picks and getting value for your draft picks. So I think if the chiefs can find some, continue to find value in the, you're not going to hit every year on the sixth and seventh rounders, but you know what those years you do, I tell you what, that, that, that's a, that's a pretty good bargain. So we will see the chiefs and the Browns for real coming up here in just under two weeks and be a fantastic, I hope, Chief football season once again, and that is the uh, regular portion of our podcast tonight. So, Brad, uh, you're pretty psyched about your uh, final thoughts tonight. Why don't you go ahead and start, and then I'll jump in. All right, Scott. Well, with high school sports in Kansas uh, officially underway and football getting ready to start coming up on Friday night, you know, I just wanted to point out that officiating numbers are down again across the state of Kansas. And I know that for myself, I'm a Keisha certified soccer referee and I do most of my work in and around Wichita. And we had, we had a big drop in, in uh, numbers for referees, soccer referees in Kansas last year, but for Wichita area this year, we've lost, I think from last year to this year, 16 referees. Uh, just, just when it comes to numbers, you know, the, the net was uh, minus 16. And, and and then you even get a couple referees like myself where, you know, my, my son plays for Bueller High School. So pretty much every Tuesday and Thursday, which is when high school soccer is played, I can't really be of any help. So and it's not and it's not just soccer. It's across the board. And it's it's really getting to the point where, I, you know, where the I don't know what the answers are, Scott. And I think it, it's it's several things. I think um, you know, first of all, tr- you know, getting officials is never the issue. It's maintain it, it's maintaining them, getting them to come back. I think untapped market for female officials that uh, state associations nationwide need to get into for all sports. I think more more pay is important, and I also think better protection for officials. You know, you know, I was over in Newton on Saturday. You know, this is pretty much common across the board. You know, you park in the parking lot with everybody else. And you're on your way inside the stadium. Well, you know what? I, I And I hate to say stuff like this, but this is also just the reality of the world we live in, Scott. You know, there needs to be places, I think, that need to really get or uh, schools need to strong consideration 
to giving these uh, officials like their own private little parking lot or something like that at every venue that they're at so they can get in, they can get out and not have to worry about being harassed out in the parking lot. And I hate to say that it, it, that something like that is important, but frankly, as a referee, I can assure you it is important. So that's the whole point of what I'm trying to say is, you know, go easy on the officials this year, folks. You know, state your displeasure with them, then let it go. But even more than that, give, give, give consideration if you have the time and the ability to getting certified. The best thing about being a Acacia certified referee is you set your own schedule. If there's weeks you don't want to do games, you don't have to. So that's the joy of being an independent contractor. Like I said, I'm certified for this fall. I've already done one game, but I think I only have like four or five games a year because, you know, I'm going to go watch my son play Tuesdays and Thursdays. So the, the numbers are getting frighteningly short and frighteningly small across all sports uh, nationwide, all sports at all levels. And I just want to say that, you know, we need to do research about how to maintain these referees that we get. And we need to start going out of our way for better pay, better protection, and just more benefit. Feel safer and just more appreciated. Well, we see it even, uh, you know, covering Sterling College, we see the, the lack of officials. You, you, you get the same crew over and over because you just don't have a pool to, to, to draw from. And it's, it's trickled down into high school. And, you know, I'll have to admit, you know, you and I, we're both guilty. We'll bang on the officials when we see, obviously, bad calls but i also will say um to people that that do that and do that into a almost a violent way if you think you can do better than they're doing go get certified as acacia official and then put yourself on the other side of that i I, i've done that just enough um as umpiring a little bit of baseball at the high school college level for a couple of years and um that humbles you a little bit um (laughs) It does. You go out and you – it's not an easy job. The game moves nope. fast every level, especially when you're learning. So, yeah, cut these guys some slack. You can you can say, you know, say your piece and be done with it and, and respect their right. I mean, because they're not doing this because they're getting really well paid. They're doing it because they love the game and they love the kids. So, yeah, let's uh, let's take it easy um, on the officials because, yeah, it, it, it's going to – it's getting to to bad proportions, and, and if we keep keep it up, and parents and fans keep getting on these officials, we're, we're not going to be able to have some games at some point because we're not going to have enough officials to do it. So, uh, um, well, be easy. Just say, yeah, if I could just say one more thing about that, Scott, is that uh, you know I spent, as I mentioned, my Saturday in Newton, so it was an eleven o'clock varsity kick, and I also did the JV game. So for eighty dollars. I was out pretty much cooking that Ooh. the sun bouncing off the turf, leaving at what nine forty five, getting home at four thirty. You do the math. I mean, the, the pay isn't that great. And yeah, you're <laughs> right. I, you know, I do it because I love the game. I do it because I enjoy being around the kids. I enjoy getting the extra. The money is it, it's nice. Yes, I'm. In the, I wouldn't be doing it for free. But to sure. insinuate, I'm just doing just to insinuate that we just do it for the money. Come on, I could come up with a hundred better things. That- Saturday, including sitting right next to my air conditioner. The guys that that do it for the pay are, are the ones when you and I sit at home and flip the TV on. Those are the ones that are getting paid pretty well to do it. Not the ones we're going to the small colleges and the high schools. We we guarantee you they're not doing it um, strictly for the pay. So yeah, that's a that's a great point. Uh, let's let's be courteous and. Um, 
keep the officials safe. And when you see an official that has done a good job, tell them so, because I'm sure they rarely hear that. Um, my final thought, Brad, is going to kind of, it's going to go out of the sports world a little bit, but people that listen to the podcast or just listen to you and I do games and stuff kind of, kind of both know that you and I are, are a rock fan. We're classic rock fans. Let's put it that way. We're old enough, Brad, that the, the rock and roll we like is now either classic or on the oldie station um, <laughs> that, that you and I enjoy. And there were two figures. Um, I know there was a third. I, I'm not a, I'm not a big Rolling Stones fan, so I'm not going to go into that um, area tonight. But um, here in the last few weeks, lost a couple of really um, landmark artists. Dusty Hill, the bassist for ZZ Top, passing away. And then also my favorite band, the original violinist for the band Kansas, Robbie Steinhardt, um, also passing away. Um, these two individuals, there, there's some bands that, that kind of sound like every other band out there. ZZ Top in Kansas, Brad, unmistakable sound. I mean, you hear the first few notes of a song, you know it's a ZZ Top song when they come <laughs> on. Sharp dressed man, legs, give me all your loving, um, rough boy. Cheap whatever. sunglasses. Yeah, I mean, um, LaGrange, how about that one out of ZZ Top? Um, and Dusty Hill was a, he was a monster part of that. I mean, I, he was an original he's an original guy in that band um kansas kind of revolutionary who would ever thought of using a violin in rock music and um robbie steinhardt just um and his backup um harmony vocals on some of the original kansas stuff um was fantastic he was still working on solo stuff he hasn't played actively with um, Kansas for quite a while. I have seen him with Kansas in concert. I've seen Kansas many times um, in concert. And that just the violin, especially you think of Dust in the Wind, maybe one of the most popular and um, most played songs of all time. It was on country stations when it was popular. Um, unmistakable sound. And it was just, you know, it, it's just the fact of, you know, when you like classic rock, you're going to have guys that pass away. And, um, those two from those two legendary bands. It just was, it was just a little sad because I, you know, I love both those bands, especially Kansas, but to see those guys that um, passed away that we won't be able to enjoy any more of, of them playing was, was sad. You know, ZZ Top, uh, Scott, they're one of those bands. Well, first of all, you talk about the, their unique sound and it's kind of a cross between Southern rock and blues rock almost. I mean, yeah. it's got kind of that tinge to it you know like uh leonard skinner but also kind of has that kind of feel to it it was definitely a very very unique sound and I was even though i never saw zz top in concert the thing i always kind of appreciated about them just from watching them on tv sometimes and seeing their music videos and seeing clips from the shows that they played in uh it, it seemed like that they're one of those bands and there's not many of them out there that when they're on stage when they were on stage performing that they honestly I'm working for you right now. Hmm. You know, I, I, I'm on stage. And I, I'm going to do my best because I want you to be happy because you're our, you know, you're the customers right now and we're working for you right now. Uh, Kiss is another one of those bands I, I put up there. Like but ZZ Top is just, yeah, I, I really liken them to one of those bands where they, you know, I'm playing for you and I'm going to do my best right now because, you know, I'm working for you right now. And of course, everyone in Kansas likes Kansas. I mean, they, you know, play the state fair <laughs> times and 
the point of no return was always kind of a, I don't know, just a unique sound to it. I, you know, I, everyone knows carry on my wayward son and dust in the wind, but I always the point of no return. Just kind yeah. of have that, you know, uh, iconic, you know, every time it was just uh, definitely uh, two, two great bands and, it's uh, it, it it's at the age where you know where the more and more we're gonna start going. Yeah, and the thing I like about Kansas, you know, I've seen them as recently as just a couple of years ago. Um, this was a band at their height that um, put more fans at the I believe it was in Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh. Um, I can't remember what venue they were playing. They put more fans in there than Elvis had. Um, that. <laughs> That's how hugely popular they were in the 70s and even into the 80s. But yet was still with two original members. And this is a band that had their first album in 74. So you can just do the math on how old um, some of their original members are. They're pushing 70. Um, that they will play the Fox in Hutchison. They'll play the Stiefel Theater in Salina. They'll play to a couple uh, thousand, 2,000 people. And they still love to do it. Even the original members, you can tell they still love playing their music, as you mentioned, like they are working for you that night. And they're, they're, they're doing their best to give you your money's worth. And I think it was just a bunch of Kansas country boys um, that got together, got the breaks that they needed at the right time, met the right people to, to make it. But they still really are down to earth. And I think that's what I've always liked about them. And I think I've seen them six or seven times and truth be told, the uh, next opportunity, I'll see him again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well said Scott. So uh, again, uh, uh, the schedule for Ad Astra this weekend, 94, seven on Friday night, KU in South Dakota, 95, nine Goddard at Bueller, 100.3 Trinity at Inman, Kicks 106, Brad and I'll have Sedgwick at Sterling and our two stream games, Pretty Prairie at Central Christian, Larnard at Lions, and then a 6 o'clock kickoff Saturday on 95.9, Sterling hosting St. Mary. So, again, you can join Brad and I at 6.30 on Kicks Country 106. We'll have the Central Kansas football preview show for you every Friday night this fall. So join us for our podcast next week but for this week's view from the press box i'm scott hogan for brad hallier god bless we'll see you friday night